Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It started slowly in the pit of my stomach. And when it got to my chest, the pain just exploded as wave after wave of pain swept through my upper body. It was November 18th in the year 2000. We had just 39 hours to transfer the contents of the pharmacy building we had been renting for 23 years into the new pharmacy building we had built just 50 yards away. Now, as I was walking across the parking lot carrying one of the many loads I would carry over the weekend, I suddenly felt like I was having a massive heart attack. One thing I was sure of, it was a massive attack of some kind, and I knew that I had to sit down and hope the attack would pass and that I would remain conscious. It was a gripping pain that seared my chest, but in about five minutes it had passed, and surprisingly, I could get up and move without pain, which minutes before I would not have thought possible. As a matter of fact, I had really expected to be in an ambulance headed to the nearest cardiac care unit. But since the pain had stopped, I continued helping with the move like nothing had happened. But always in the back of my mind was the fear that I might have another attack, since I had been noticed having the attack because I had to sit down while everyone else was working. My husband, Kay, insisted that I make an appointment and go see my family doctor right away. Of course, I was not about to do that since it obviously was not a heart attack and I was now doing fine. I figured I must have been carrying too heavy a load, and so I backed off from carrying boxes that were too heavy. But about a week later, when I had my second attack, I decided I better go see the doctor before he met me coming in on an ambulance. I was checked out pretty thoroughly, eliminating the most serious conditions first. My heart was checked out thoroughly, including a treadmill test that I passed with flying colors. One thing I did find out was that if it had been a heart attack that I was having, I would not have been able to get up minutes later and carry on as if nothing had ever happened. Before long, I was having the attacks more frequently, and they never seemed to have a regular pattern, although they always involved movement and or exertion on my part. I could get up from the breakfast table and walk to my bedroom and have an attack on the way there. But then after it subsided, I could go outside and walk three miles without an attack. And then the next day, I could be fine in the house and have an attack on my walk. And if I had one attack on my walk, I could be sure I would have several. My doctor prescribed a medication that would help break up the attack, and sometimes it did. He also gave me a medication to help me remain calm, because there was no doubt that the attacks got worse when I worried about having them. My family doctor referred me to a gastroenterologist. One of the first things he did was order an ultrasound of my gallbladder. There were so many stones in my gallbladder that no light would pass through during the test. Within days, I was scheduled for gallbladder surgery. I was elated that the problem had been found and fixed. But only five days after my surgery, I had another attack. I couldn't believe it. I was so upset and depressed, I just sat down and cried. Then I called the surgeon who had taken out my gallbladder, and she sent me to Chapel Hill to a surgeon who would check out the tubes that went to the gallbladder to see if any stones had lodged there. But unfortunately, everything was okay. At some point, all the heart tests were repeated with the same negative results. I was sent back to the gastroenterologist. My husband went with me, and I will never forget what the doctor said. 
that he would check out four things, and if everything was negative, he was going to have to believe it was all in my head. Since Kay thought it was all in my head anyway, he sat there smiling like he knew all the tests would be negative, and as it turned out, he was right. One of the tests was to put a tube down my nose into my stomach and keep it there for 24 hours and then go back for him to see what was going on in my stomach. I can tell you that if I had to have a nose tube like that all the time, I would become a thin person. Every time I swallowed, it was painful. I was so thankful to get that tube out, but as it turned out, that test, as well as the other three, were negative. I was so sorry he did not find a problem that could be identified and treated. Now I was headed to a psychologist. The psychologist I went to was an expert in treating anxiety disorders and had been identified by our son, who is a doctor in Cary. Because they had been brainwashed by their father, all three of our children were convinced that the problem was in my head. The psychologist I saw was very nice, and we had many good conversations. She taught me some techniques you can use when you are having an attack to help minimize the attack and get over it sooner. She also gave me a book to read. However, the attacks did not stop. At one point, I had been put on Prilosec. I remember a friend at church telling me that once I was on that, since they were thinking I had an acid reflux problem, I would always have to take it. I thought to myself, we'll see about that. And so as soon as I realized it did not have any effect on whether I did or did not have attacks, I stopped taking it. It was now the spring of 2003, and I was still having the attacks periodically, never following any pattern, or so I thought. One morning in the grocery store, I had felt an attack coming on and made it to the bread section before I collapsed on the floor, now in the middle of a bad attack. A friend came over, and while I ate some bread, she recited Psalm 23. I had found out from the psychologist that focusing on something helped to calm me down and get through the attacks, so whenever possible, I would have family or friends read the Bible to me during those times. This attack passed as they always did, and the depression that I always experienced settled in as I realized I might never be free of these inexplicable attacks. One cloudy Saturday morning, I started out on my morning walk. I had not gotten very far when I felt an attack coming on just about the same time it started to rain. I walked over to an empty house and sat on the front stoop and cried. I asked God if there was anything I was doing that was causing these attacks. Would he please reveal it to me? I told him I did not want to keep on living like this, never knowing when I would have another incapacitating attack. That night when I went to bed, I was going over the day's events in my mind and praying when the thought came into my head that perhaps it was the vitamins I was taking and to go look at the directions on the bottle. I have no doubt that God put that thought into my head because it was a direct answer to my prayer. I went into the kitchen and picked up the bottle of calcium. It said, take with food. I went into my computer and sent an email question to the company that made the calcium. My question was, why should you take the calcium with food? Meanwhile, I went back in the kitchen and picked up my multivitamin bottle. Same thing. I was taking seven or eight vitamins and minerals, and four of them said, take with food. How could I have missed something so simple? I had spent thousands of dollars and countless hours going to five different doctors over a period of three and a half years to have God give me the answer to my problem. I had kept food diaries at various times, but had never kept a record of the benign vitamins and minerals I was taking. Sometimes I took them with food and sometimes I didn't. There was never a pattern to how I took the stuff. 
If I had ever written it down, I would have seen the problem and saved myself a lot of time and money, not to mention the toll on my emotional and physical health. When I got the message from the calcium company a day or two later, it was that if calcium was not taken with food, that it might upset your stomach. Now that was surely an understatement. Since that time, I have talked with many people who asked me if I ever found out what was causing the attacks. When I tell them that I was taking vitamins and minerals without a meal, they say something like, well, I couldn't have done that. It would make me sick. Well, it was killing me, but I did not know it. At each doctor's office, they would ask me what medications I was taking. And until I began having attacks, I was not taking any. I never mentioned the vitamins and minerals. I now realize how important it is for doctors to ask questions about everything patients put in their mouths and to ask if they take them according to the directions on the bottles. I know that I am not the only person in the world who was of the misguided opinion that taking vitamins, minerals, etc. was a benign event. I have since realized this is not true. I can tell you that when all else fails, read the directions and pray. Prayer changes things, and I am living proof that God answers prayers. It certainly changed my life, and it might change yours, too. I have just read for you the piece I submitted to Guidepost magazine several years ago. A few weeks later, I got a letter back from them saying it was interesting, but that it did not meet their editorial purposes. This was my life from November 2000 until the spring of 2003. I think about how fortunate I was that God let me know what was causing my very real problem. And I do want to point out that it was not all in my head as my doctor, Kay, and my children had agreed that it was. And so I felt vindicated in that regard that I was not losing my mind, although I had certainly gotten discouraged and depressed over my condition. I was reminded of that health issue after meeting a man several weeks ago at a Christian bookstore in Cary. He was buying several copies of a book by Charles Spurgeon, Faith's Checkbook, and I was buying a case of Randy Alcorn's book, 90 Days of God's Goodness. I mentioned to him that the Alcorn book is a good book for someone who is dealing with an illness, going through a divorce, grieving the death of a loved one, or some other situation. He looked at me and without missing a beat said, Everybody is going through something, and I certainly couldn't disagree with that observation. Indeed, everybody is going through something, and it is critical that when we are going through something that we have someone to go through it with us, someone who is always working, someone who will never disappoint us, and someone who is always working things out for our good, even though sometimes, perhaps often, we are not able to see a good outcome. And that is where faith comes in. Not faith in our friends or our co-workers or our employers, not even faith in our family, but faith in the only one who can really help us when all else fails. Faith in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. What would you really like in this life right now, today? In Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, she says the greatest blessing we can know is nearness to Jesus, and that blessing is abundant joy and peace in His presence. Now, I don't know about you, but abundant joy and peace sound like wonderful blessings to have. And I truly believe that in the midst of whatever it is that you are facing right now, if you can focus on your relationship with Jesus instead of the fear and anxiety you feel about your present circumstances, He can give you the strength to get you through. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the hymn, Spirit Song, written by John Wimber. I 
I only heard it myself a few years ago, but listen to these beautiful words, and I'm going to attempt something that I have thought about many times and have not done, but I'm going to try to sing this for you. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you with His Spirit and His love. Let Him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. Oh, let Him have the things that hold you and His Spirit like a dove will descend upon your life and make you whole. Oh, come and sing the song with gladness as your hearts are filled with joy. Lift your hands in sweet surrender to His name. Oh, give Him all your tears and sadness. Give Him all your years of pain, and you'll enter into life in Jesus' name. Jesus, oh Jesus, Come and fill your lambs. Jesus, oh Jesus, come and fill your lambs. And that song is by John Wimber, the Spirit Song. Another statement I read in Sarah Young's book is, You will never be in control of your life circumstances, but you can relax and trust in my control. That is Jesus speaking to us. And how many times have you and I thought that certainly, if we were in control, things would be much better? If our children or our grandchildren or our friends or our spouses would just listen to our advice, how much better off they would be and how much happier we would be. But you know and I know that it is all we can do to control ourselves, much less anyone else, and especially those in our own family. Sometime when you get a chance, read Second Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat had heard several armies were coming against him, and he called the people of Judah together to seek help from the Lord. I love the last part of verse 12 and can relate to it when the king says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. How many times are we at our wit's end and we do not know what to do? That is when we must turn our eyes and our focus to the only one who can help us, and that is God and his son, Jesus Christ. Some of you agnostics out there might question the existence of God. Let me ask you, if you were to take off the back cover of a watch and see all the workings that the watchmaker invented to make the watch keep time like it does, do you question the existence of a watchmaker? Well, how about when you wake up every morning to the sun and seeing the stars and the moon at night and knowing that Earth is rotating around the sun in our galaxy? How can you not believe there is a creator God? This is an amazing world we live in, and I hope you might read the works of C.S. Lewis, particularly his book, Mere Christianity, and Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter. These men and the books they wrote as they were on their journeys to verify that Jesus Christ was who he said he was might just put you on the road that will ultimately bring you to the same belief that they came to. I have been reading a book about the life of Mo Anderson a tenant farmer's daughter who became the president and CEO of Keller Williams Realty. Ms. Anderson wrote the book herself, and I want to read you a few paragraphs from the book, A Joy-Filled Life. And I'm going to refer to Ms. Anderson as Mo because that's how she's referred to in the book. In Mo's college years, she took a course entitled Religion and Science in Philosophic Perspective. And this is her direct quote. Like many new young college students, I thought my professor's intelligence was a measure of his wisdom. At the beginning of one of the first class sessions, he asked, How many of you are Christians? 
Nearly everyone in the class of about 80 students raised their hands. I'm here to challenge that, he said, without a blink. By the end of the course, Mo says, I began to doubt everything I had been taught since childhood. My faith was shattered, and I didn't know if there was a God at all. It still surprises some to hear this, but for a period of five years, I was an agnostic. If God existed at all, I thought, he certainly has nothing to do with our day-to-day lives. She did think it was a good idea for her son to be raised in church, and this is what she said that made such an impression on me. Quote, One Sunday, I was impressed with a single thought that hit me like a bolt of lightning and reverberated over and over in my head. Either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was the biggest liar and imposter the world has ever known. Mo realized she had to determine for herself once and for all what she believed about Jesus. The day after she heard that sermon, she saw an advertisement in her local newspaper that read, Is Christ Real? Basic Class in Christianity at the First Lutheran Church. She goes on to recount, I don't remember everything the pastor said that first night, but I do recall that he held up the Bible and explained how it was actually two books in one. The first book, the Old Testament, is the history of a nation that gave birth to a man called Jesus, he said. The second book, called the New Testament, is about this man's life and its meaning. She goes on to say that, quote, For the first time in my life, I really understood the message of the gospel. It was so simple, yet profound. The pastor spoke of the work Jesus did for us by his death on the cross. I took notes and have them to this day. The words found lodging in my heart as if they were meant for me alone. I had been in church most of my life, but it wasn't until I was an adult that I truly accepted Christ as my Savior. In that moment, I prayed an honest and sincere prayer. I don't understand all of this, Lord, but I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to do my best, based on my understanding, to give you my commitment and my loyalty from this day forward. That one decision has given my life purpose, direction, peace, and eternal hope. These are Mo's words to close out chapter 5 in her book. Quote, I deeply believe that God has blessed me for my faith in Him. His promises have been fulfilled. Whenever you are tested, whenever you are discouraged and doubt yourself, whenever you doubt the power of God in your life, keep the faith in yourself, in your life, and ultimately in God. When you do, you will be blessed, I promise. It might not be right away. It wasn't for me. I still had to work hard and deal with challenges and persevere. That's just life. But when you keep the faith, there is no real fear. There is confidence and hope. This is the promise, his promise, that you will be blessed. Keep the faith. Your faith and belief in God can be the framework upon which you build a worthy, loving, and fulfilling life. Your faith is an important part of who you really are. Build it, believe in it, and bring it wherever you go. Keep your faith. Seek it, renew it, and live it. Let your faith sustain you in hard times and guide you all the time. Again, I have been quoting from portions of Mo Anderson's book, A Joy-Filled Life. Now I'm going to switch over to Randy Alcorn's book, 90 Days of God's Goodness. And I'm going to read these verses from Psalm 37, 1 through 13. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. And this was from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 13. And Randy Alcorn goes on to say, God calls on us to trust him and to believe that the appearances of current events are very different than the ultimate outcome he has planned and promised. Even when men carry out their wicked schemes, we are to wait patiently for God. The success of evildoers is only apparent and at most temporary. Likewise, the sufferings of God's people will accomplish now hidden purposes, and those sufferings will be dramatically and forever reversed. Like Job, we live in a cosmic drama in full view of heaven's audience. In the first chapter of Job, the drama's director tells us what the characters don't know, what's really going on. Job knew nothing about God commending him to Satan and calling Job blameless. God let Job face terrible trials with no explanation. We share this in common with Job. God doesn't specifically explain why he permits evil and suffering to fall upon us. He wants us to trust him. In one sense, Job is every man. From Charles Spurgeon's Morning by Morning devotional, quote, Ask God to give you the patience that endures affliction, which, when it is tried, will come forth as gold. And that come forth as gold is from Job 23.10. Adorn yourself with patience so that you may not complain or be depressed in your afflictions. Make God's glory your purpose in life. As I close today, I would like to read you a brief biography of Joseph Scriven, the man who wrote the well-known hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The verses associated with this hymn come from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. So now I'm reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. And now I'm going to be reading from the Hymn Stories book, Then Sings My Soul, by Robert J. Morgan. Joseph Scriven watched in shock as the body of his fiancée was pulled from the lake. Their wedding had been planned for the next day. Reeling from the tragedy, he made up his mind to emigrate to America. Packing up his belongings in Dublin, Ireland, he sailed for Canada, leaving his mother behind. He was about 25 years old. Ten years later, in 1855, he received word that his mother was facing a crisis. Joseph wrote this poem and sent it to her. Mrs. Scriven evidently gave a copy to a friend who had it published anonymously, and it quickly became a popular hymn, though no one knew who had written it. Meanwhile, Joseph fell in love again. 
but tragedy struck a second time when his bride, Eliza Catherine Roche, contracted tuberculosis and died in 1860 before their wedding could take place. To escape his sorrow, Joseph poured himself into ministry, doing charity work for the Plymouth Brethren and preaching among the Baptists. He lived a simple, obscure life in Port Hope, Canada, cutting firewood for widows, giving away his clothes and money to those in need. He was described as a man of short stature with iron-gray hair, close-cropped beard, and light blue eyes that sparkled when he talked. Iris Sankey later wrote, Until a short time before his death, it was not known that he had a poetic gift. A neighbor sitting up with him in his illness happened upon a manuscript copy of What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Reading it with great delight and questioning Mr. Scriven about it, he said that he had composed it for his mother to comfort her in a time of special sorrow, not intended that anyone else should see it. Sometime later, when another Port Hope neighbor asked him if it was true that he had composed the hymn, his reply was, The Lord and I did it between us. On October the 10th, 1896, Joseph became critically ill. In his delirium, he rose from his bed and staggered outdoors, where he fell into a small creek and drowned at the age of 66. His grave was arranged so that his feet were opposite those of his lost love, Eliza Catherine Roche, that at the resurrection they might arise facing one another. Hear the words of what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Now hear these words from Randy Alcorn. Quote, like Job, we look around us and see suffering and evil we do not understand. As Job did in the end, Lord, may we see you now as you truly are, as revealed in your word and trust you to accomplish your purposes even when life doesn't make sense to us. I pray you'll give everyone hearing this the ability to see how you have worked in their lives in the past. Give them the faith to see you at work today and the capacity to fully trust you for their future. From Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 